The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing in zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics, and Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network. They are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the business, and joining us is one of the titans of the industry, Evan Silva, a co-founder of Establish the Run. Evan, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well. You guys are looking good. A lot of facial hair, but uh, look, looking pretty strong. Looking, looking strong. This is a facial hair podcast. It wasn't always the case, but uh, Raybon has uh, really, throughout the, the quarantine situation because of the coronavirus, has really stepped up his beard game. Uh, so yeah, looking, looking good on Raybon over there. It's, it's good to have you with us on the show. In our two previous episodes, we previewed our 2020 player projections, uh, which we will update continuously and which will power the customizable fantasy football cheat sheet available soon on the Action Network. In this episode, we're doing two things. We're discussing with Evan his basic approach to the quarterback position in terms of projections and fantasy strategy, and we're doing a full breakdown of the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks by average draft position. If you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Evan, what is your approach to the quarterback position in fantasy? I'm assuming that you tend to lean more towards the late-round strategy, but I have seen you in some recent drafts. Take some of these earlier quarterbacks. How are you approaching quarterback in 2020? I think it's a, a great question, and I think it's one that I think needs to be answered on uh, almost a case-by-case, league-by-league basis. Because if you're playing in your home league or your office league, your best approach is almost always just to let everyone else take their quarterback before you take yours uh, in order to maximize value at probably the deepest position in fantasy. But then if you're playing in a large field season-long tournament, or you're playing best ball and you're trying to climb the mountaintop and you're trying to finish in first. Um, and you're not just trying to, you know, make sure that you get into the playoffs where you, and then you let variants take over. Then I think that it's smart to be more aggressive at quarterback and to build quarterback stacks with their pass catchers in team stacks uh, in order to maximize your upside. So yeah, it, I'm a lot more willing to take quarterbacks in the first six to eight rounds in big uh, tur- tournament style leagues like in my league with my college friends I'm pretty much treating quarterback like defense or kicker and I'm waiting as long as possible to take one I'm hoping that my opponents are taking them relatively early pushing you know better picks at scarcer positions to me uh, down the board all right what are the stats and factors that you're looking at to predict quarterback performance for the upcoming season I mean, certainly touchdown rate, I think, is, has been established as a very useful metric. Uh, touchdowns just divided by pass attempts. It's a very simple metric, easy to understand. Uh, what I like to do every offseason is go back and just look at quarterbacks' career touchdown rates. And it, it actually, if you, if you just rank like all the 32 starters in the league 
um, in terms of their career touchdown rates, it's actually not a bad ranking just on, on the basis of how good they are. Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes is way up, up, up top. You know, Aaron Rodgers is way up top, even though his touchdown uh, rates have fallen off uh, in recent years. But it tend to be the, the really good quarterbacks throw a lot of touchdowns per pass attempt. So I think that that's a, a legit statistic. And whether they performed well above or below their career TD rates in the previous season, you know, they're likely to regress back toward their career mean in the following season. And I think that pass and run volume are obviously also critical statistics. If you look at quarterbacks on a game-by-game basis, uh, pass volume isn't nearly as, as important as efficiency. But if you're looking at season-long cumulative fantasy production, pass volume becomes a lot more important in that, uh, that larger sample size. And, you know, of course, as our friend Rich Rebar has repeatedly pointed out, quarterback rushing volume can be a sort of skeleton key for fantasy production. And there are cheap, lower-cost quarterbacks like Gardner Minshew and Daniel Jones and um, like, uh, even like Ryan Tannehill who will get somewhat overlooked uh, box score boost because they are athletic and they run and they add a couple of points per week with their legs. And you guys all know this best because you guys compete in the, those fantasy pros rankings and you see you know, the points that, that the players score every week on, on a position-by-position basis. Two points at the quarterback position is a huge advantage because everyone's so tightly bunched together and that two-point rushing boost can move you from you know, the quarterback 17 on the week to like the quarterback nine. It's a huge difference maker. All right, we're talking about the top 12 quarterbacks uh, in this episode, but Evan, right there, you mentioned some guys who are going outside of the top 12, Gardner Minshew, Daniel Jones, Ryan Tannehill. Out of the guys outside of the top 12, who right now is your favorite late round quarterback or a couple of guys you're targeting? It's Jimmy Garoppolo. And I know that Raybon in particular was especially high on Jimmy G last year. And I really liked Raybon's process behind that take. Uh, but I think that Raybon is actually going to end up being a year early on Garoppolo because I think that this is really the year to hammer down on Jimmy G and ideally in stacks with George Kittle. So this is uh, Jimmy G's second full season in Kyle Shanahan's offense. You know, he's that full season removed now from that ACL tear. Uh, he was remarkably efficient last year. He was third in the NFL in yards for pass attempt, top eight in passer rating, but the 49ers were 29th in pass attempts. And I think they're, they're going to throw a good amount more this year. They traded DeForest Buckner. Uh, they lost their, their stud uh, defensive backs coach, Joe Woods, uh, who coached up like every member of their secondary last year to a career year. Richard Sherman is a year older. Their other cornerback position is a major trouble spot. It was all last year. They didn't do anything to fix it this offseason. And then I really like the early season schedule for Jimmy G and George Kittle. They get Arizona at home in week one. People might say, oh, the Cardinals got Isaiah Simmons. Well, you know, (laughs) with no practice time, I can't wait to see George Kittle matching up against uh, Isaiah Simmons uh, in one-on-one matchups. Like that's, you know, George Kittle is going to win that. Maybe down the line, Isaiah Simmons will will catch him. Um, But George Kittle, I'm going to bet on him every single time in that matchup. then in weeks two and three, they go on the road, but they're playing at the same stadium. They're, they're facing the Jets and the Giants. I think that both of those defense could be sort of pass funnel uh, situations, and I don't think that either of those matchups are, are particularly wor- worrisome. And then the 49ers come back home for three straight home games against the Eagles, Dolphins, and Rams, and I'm not afraid of any of those matchups. I really like the matchups against the Eagles and the Dolphins. So like in DFS – uh, I'm going to want to have a lot of Jimmy G, 
George Kittle stacks early in the season, especially after Debo Samuel went down. Um, and I, I like this 49ers offense to uh, trend toward the middle of the pack in pass attempts after being you know, bottom three last year. On the Sirius XM show, I think we've talked a couple of times about Jimmy Garoppolo as one of those deeper long shot MVP candidates. Uh, and I, I think there's some value there. Even uh, you can look at DraftKings Sportsbook right now, 40 to 1 for Jimmy Garoppolo to win MVP. And I think there's some value there. Let's get into talking about these quarterbacks. And, you know, depending on the league settings uh, and the league you're in, you know, it's Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes as the number one quarterback off the board. But really, there's this clear tier of those top two guys. And let's start with Lamar Jackson, the MVP last year. He has the same offensive coordinator in Greg Roman. He has wide receivers Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin entering their second year. Tight end Mark Andrews is entering his third year. And then the team added running back J.K. Dobbins and wide receiver Devin DuVernay in the draft. So everything seems still to be trending in the right direction for Lamar Jackson. Evan, where are you on him? I have him right next to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if I could rank Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson at the exact same spot, I would. But, you know, we, we can't do that, unfortunately, because we have to make these lists, and everybody you know, needs a list. So um, I, I have Patrick Mahomes one spot ahead. Um, and, you know, whether it be in the, this, the overall quarterback rankings or, you know, the overall – overall rankings of all the players they're literally back to back and you know I have no problem with anybody saying yo Lamar Jackson deserves to be the, the quarterback one again you know I mean there's a great case to be made for that I think he's gonna have a great season I think he's gonna go from probably throwing 36 touchdown passes to like 25 and um, I think that Patrick Mahomes you know is gonna throw more than 40 and I like that Patrick Mahomes opened it up with a little bit with his legs down the stretch last year he got healthy he started running some more I think that his his, his rushing floor is maybe better than uh, giving credit for. I, I, I love both guys, and it's, it's, it's really it's, – it's, you know, it's nitpicking. It's, uh, but I, you know, I think they're both going to have really big seasons, and I think that Patrick Mahomes is just going to have a little bit better. All right, so Evan, what I'm taking from that is that you are massively disrespecting Lamar Jackson by putting him behind Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Sean, where are you on your rankings of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes here? I'm in the same boat uh, as Evan. I mean, even the slightest tweak to either quarterback could flip these rankings. Um, as of today, uh, I have Patrick Mahomes number one. And it's just an interesting dynamic between these two. You know, with Lamar Jackson, uh, the question is, you know, I don't think he's going to match his 36 passing touchdown and uh, 1,200 rushing yards this year. Uh, you know, the question is, how close can he get to repeating that? So I expect some pretty significant regression for him. Whereas Mahomes, um, I, I only see positive regression from last year. Um, so it, it's sort of, you know, finding that middle ground with both of them, and it, it's, it's right in the middle. Um, so uh, right now um, I have Patrick Mahomes slightly ahead. I think, you know, given that he, he was without Tyreek Hill for four games last year, um, he was dealing with the, the knee and ankle injury for most of last year. And Evan mentioned it. You know, we saw him – relatively healthy in the playoffs and he averaged 45 rushing yards per game. So he has that kind of ceiling with his legs as well. He gets a first round talent pass catching running back and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Michael Hardman could make a year two leap. So I, I think Mahomes has a chance of, you know, coming close to his 50 touchdown uh, rookie season. Um, so I just think the, the ceiling from Mahomes is higher, which is why I would take him before Lamar. 
But having said that, it's, it's not taking anything away from Lamar Jackson's season last year. I think he can come close to duplicating those numbers. It just, you know, we're, we're factoring in regression with Lamar Jackson, whereas with Mahomes, I think um, there's just a higher ceiling going into this year. Raybon, where are you on this? I mean, I have the feeling because you said that the ceiling with uh, Patrick Mahomes is, you know, breaking records and having the greatest passing season of all time for a quarterback. So my sense is you're leaning towards Mahomes in this, but where are you? Yeah, it's not really as close as I think Sean and, and Evan in terms of like one little thing could swing the rankings. For me, Patrick Mahomes is clearly ahead because the way I'm projecting is based on range of outcomes. And I think last year, Lamar Jackson had one of the top ranges of outcomes that he could possibly have at any point in his career, whereas Patrick Mahomes not only had one of the worst with dislocating the kneecap and missing a couple games and then playing hurt you know, through a couple of others, um, but I think Mahomes is still getting uh, better as a passer. I think the continuity is better. I think the supporting cast is a lot better. Um, so it's a, it's a credit to Lamar Jackson, what he did last year. Uh, credit to Greg Roman, who seems to take these quarterbacks that no one believes in as passers and make them into, um, you know, very good uh, quarterbacks. But overall, this year, I think Mahomes could break the touchdown record. Uh, I think Mahomes could conceivably uh, throw 60 scores if, if on the top of his range of outcomes. And I think Lamar Jackson's going to run a little less because he actually said that. And last year, he said he was going to run just the same amount. So I do kind of listen in. I think when he was kind of uh, thrown off his game in that playoff game against Tennessee, he got ticked off and he vowed to get better as a passer. And I think he's going to put that more on display this year, which is good for him and and for the growth of him as a quarterback, but not necessarily great for fantasy because every point he gets passing instead of rushing uh, knocks him down a bit. And I just don't think um, in terms of the ceilings that – they can compete and that's even with Lamar having a ceiling year so I just think Lamar had like a 95 percentile outcome last year Mahomes had like a 10th percentile outcome and it's going to kind of swing back around uh, this year and then that puts Mahomes ahead I mean Lamar broke the all-time quarterback rushing record and he led the NFL in touchdown passes on the team that had the fewest pass attempts in the league I know and, yeah. and Seth Roberts right. like it, so, no like I, 95th percentile outcome that, that's, that's a that's a hundred percentile outcome. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Same. You know. No, we're we're agreeing. We're agreeing. I guess I'll have to be the, the voice of dissent on this. I mean, I think Lamar Jackson has – it's not to say that Patrick Mahomes doesn't have an incredibly high floor because he does. Lamar Jackson, he could still be the number one quarterback with even just 1,000 yards rushing this year. Let's say that he plays 16 games instead of 15 games that he played last year. Let's say that the games are a little bit closer. So he doesn't have multiple games in which he's sitting out the, the majority of the fourth quarter. If you drop him from 1,200 yards rushing to 1,000 yards rushing, you think, oh, we just took 200 yards off of his rushing total. Like he still easily leads all quarterbacks in rushing. Um, so I don't know. Like I still and, – and I, I see the point about the, the touchdown regression I think though because of Raybon's point about he's going to throw more I think that regression is going to be offset just a little bit because of the volume so instead of him dropping from like 35 to 25 I think maybe he drops from 35 to 30 or something like that I I still think with the the progress that we're going to see out of all of his pass catching options uh we still see Lamar Jackson the top two season I mean I it's it's hard to split the difference between Mahomes because he is the best all-around quarterback in the league uh he does have continuity in the staff 
in his weapons. And then they did just add, you know, like Brian Westbrook clone Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So it's, it's hard to say anything bad about uh, Patrick Mahomes, but I don't know if I had to take one of them, I would probably lean a little bit towards uh, Lamar Jackson, but uh, I will, I will be the wimp and say, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a toss up between the two. I mean, Sean, you're, you're kind of on this, that it's a, a toss up between the, the four guys after these two, uh, just in terms of, you know, there's Deshaun Watson, there's Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. All of these guys are going in the rounds four to five range. I think it's, it's really hard to rank them. Uh, a strong case could really be made for any of these guys, any order. Evan, where are you on these, these four quarterbacks? Watson, Prescott, Wilson, Kyler Murray. They're they're all pretty similar. I, I have them all. I, I also have Josh Allen in this tier, though, um, and we'll we'll get to him. But I mean, I have Dak as the quarterback three, uh, Josh Allen as the quarterback four, Deshaun Watson as the quarterback five, Russell Wilson as the quarterback six, and then Kyler Murray as the quarterback seven. And I think that they should all be drafted in the very same range. Josh Allen goes like two rounds later than these guys, and so I think that he's probably the best value. But I think that. Dak Prescott has like the best shot at a true MVP season. I think that Deshaun Watson every year has a shot at being the NFL MVP. I mean, you want to talk about a dude who just can put a team on his back. Like that's Deshaun Watson. You know, there is not a quarterback in the league that's better facing a deficit than Deshaun Watson. You know, that's the the quarterback that you want. I mean, with the exception of like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, But, you know, if your team is at a deficit, like he, he's so good playing with, with urgency and, and playing when trailing his yards per pass attempt in his career go from 7.7 uh, when, uh, with the lead to 8.4 when trailing and he, and his yards per uh, carry go from 4.4 with the lead to 6.3 when trailing. You know, I think that DeAndre losing DeAndre Hopkins hurts him because it, it does hurt him because he's always had that back shoulder contested catch winning receiver from Clemson with Mike Williams the DeAndre Hopkins when he got into the NFL. But, you know, this you can also imagine this offense being like a four-vertical offense. And, I mean, how much rushing equity could that provide to Sean Watson with all that speed on the field? Um, I'm, I'm talking myself now into moving him up uh, ahead of Josh Allen. But, you know, I got I to gotta stick to my guns here because of the, all the, the uh, MVP bets. All right. So uh, a couple of things there, Evan, I'm with you on, on Dak Prescott as the, uh, the number three quarterback. Uh, that's where I have him. Uh, so much to like about him. He still has offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. So there's continuity there, but now he's freed from head coach Jason Garrett. So I think it's kind of the, the best of both worlds when you're looking at the coaching staff situation. He still has a thousand yard wide receivers, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, and the team has added wide receiver CD Lamb, uh, who you know, I think is a pretty clear upgrade, uh, certainly in the long term, maybe even in the short term on Randall Cobb. And then, of course, they have Blake Jarwin, who I think is coming in as an upgrade on Jason Witten. Uh, and he has the hashtag motivation of playing on the franchise tag. So a lot to like about Dak, uh, Dak Prescott this year. And Evan, I'm also with you on uh, Deshaun Watson. Top five in points per game each of the past three seasons. It obviously is, uh, I think, suboptimal for him that he's without DeAndre Hopkins, but he still has a super strong wide receiver unit in Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, 
Kenny Stills, all of those guys are speedsters, which I think suits the strength of Deshaun Watson. And then he also has two very strong receiving backs in David and Duke Johnson. So a lot to like about Deshaun Watson uh, as someone who is in the same tier as Dak Prescott. Sean, I want to kick it to you. Thoughts on Watson and Prescott and uh, maybe how you stack them in comparison to Wilson and Kyler Murray. Yeah, so I have this tier essentially tied. I mean, I don't want to sound soft, you know, trying to take a stand here, but I think that's that's where I am. And, you know, when it comes to this tier, um, I think it just all comes down to whichever guy falls, I'm willing to take. Um, and, it, you know, Evan mentioned this earlier, but it, it kind of depends on your format. If if you're in a best ball or two QB league, I think you definitely want to lock in one of these top six QBs just because the upside for all these guys are massive. Um, last year, we had the benefit of having guys like Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, even Jameis Winston going later. This year, I don't really see that many guys in the QB2 or beyond range that are even worth um, you know, taking flyers. Um, if I don't get one of these top six QBs, I'm just going to punt QB and uh, go streaming. Um, there's no reason not to. Last year, I had my streaming article where I was able to stream you know, a QB6 off the waiver wire. So you always have that luxury. And this year, it's going to be even more prominent just with the uncertainty with COVID. I think, um, you know, the streaming QB strategy is going to be even more valuable. So, you know, when it comes to these QBs, uh, I agree with you guys, Deshaun Watson, he's, he's probably the most solid pick of these, these four, uh, just his floor ceiling combo is untouchable with these guys. Dak is, is probably the best way to invest in this trio of receivers with Amari, Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb. If you just want to invest in all three of those guys, take Dak Prescott. I think it's a great move. You know, when it comes to Kyler Murray, he's typically taken a lot higher than QB6. So this ADP of six doesn't really translate to a lot of the drafts I've been in. In order to get him, you have to, you know, spend a top four pick at QB to get him. Um, you know, I think the upside's there, especially entering year two with DeAndre Hopkins. We could see more of uh, the true ceiling games that we didn't really get to see his rookie season. So, uh, you know, I don't knock anybody that wants to take him as a top four QB. But the one guy that I do think uh, I, I've ended up with the most is Russell Wilson. Uh, he's typically the last QB in this tier. So he's typically falling to QB six. And I lock him up because, you know, we've become accustomed to the Seahawks being established the run team uh, to the detriment of Russell Wilson's uh, ceiling. But, you know, he's shown that his floor is still pretty high in that system. I still have hope, albeit small, that they, they will unleash him this year. So giving him his QB six, I mean, he has legit top QB uh, upside if they do let him attempt close to 600 passes. And just wait until the Seahawks sign Antonio Brown. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm looking for breadcrumbs like that, like Pete Carroll coming to his senses or, you know, signing Antonio Brown. Those are the things that will trigger, you know, the potential for 600 pass attempts. Again, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but uh, my hopes are up this year, especially. I mean, they were an 11 and five team last year. And they only led 33% of the time and trailed 50% of the time. So, you know, they're, they're relying on Russ Wilson for these fourth quarter comebacks where, you know, they might as well just throw early and then run the ball to pad the lead. Um, again, I don't have faith that Pete Carroll will come to the senses, but still the possibility is there. And we already know uh, Russ Wilson's floor is pretty high as is. So that's why I think uh, taking Russ Wilson, if he falls in this tier is the way to go. So Sean, you have uh, Kyler Murray in the top three. I have him uh, ranked number four. Russell Wilson, I have number six. And I think we are all there uh, at, at having Wilson number six. Raymond, I'd like to get your thoughts specifically on, on Wilson in that Seahawks offense. So you look at Russell Wilson, on the one hand, he's the only quarterback in the NFL who has 30 
passing touchdowns in each of the past three years. So he seems to have a really high floor, but he's limited by the antiquated run-heavy system of uh, offensive coordinator Brian Schottheimer. But you just think he has those two explosive wide receivers and Tyler Lockett and, and the connection specifically that Wilson has with Lockett is maybe up there with any other connection that a quarterback and wide receiver has in the league. Like that is a, a top tier, I'd say like top, top two, top three connection. And then you add in DK Metcalf and what he did as a rookie. And some people are talking that he could end up being the number one wide receiver in the offense this year. And that's certainly within the range of outcomes, but you have these two really explosive wide receivers. And you think if they just decide to lean a little more to the passing game, that could, I mean, that can mean massive things for Russell Wilson. And, and so Raybon, the question is you look at the Seahawks in 2018, they had around a 47 and a half percent pass rate easily last in the league. And then last year that bumped up to 53%. And so the question is, do you see them continuing to move along this trajectory or do you see them starting to move back towards what they did to where we have something that's kind of in the middle? What do you see for this Seahawks offense this year? Yeah, I think it's going to be more of the same, unfortunately, for um, for Russell Wilson, uh, because we got to stop blaming these offensive coordinators. It's, it's Pete Carroll. Um, and I, I, I look into this these kind of things because organizational structure and kind of who's calling the shots, um, I think, gives me an edge in terms of projecting things and, and even on a week-to-week basis in terms of uh, what kind of decisions they're going to make. Pete Carroll um, essentially – fired Daryl Bevel and brought in Schottenheimer because Schottenheimer was more aligned with that true run first philosophy that Carroll uh, enjoys. And Bevel, if you remember, in 2017, uh, when the Seahawks defense did kind of plummet and their running game disappeared, they did unleash Russell Wilson. And he did have an MVP caliber season. Uh, and, then, and then Bevel was gone. And before that, it was, all oh, Bevel's too run heavy. Now Schottenheimer comes in and, and we're saying the same thing. But really, this is what Pete Carroll wants. And so I don't foresee it changing unless you see uh, maybe Chris Carson goes down, which always possible. They did bring in Carlos Hyde, but I think Penny's not going to be there till midseason. So it would have to take a, a whole kind of um, a bunch of different factors coming together to really unleash that uh, Russell Wilson and that pass office. I don't see it happening just as a, on, in terms of the media. And I think you're going to be right where you are. And um, I, that's, that was a good stat Sean brought up about how they went 11 and five and they weren't even leading that much. Uh, it's totally also possible that, you know, they're in that, you know, 10, nine to 11 win range again, but they are leading a lot more um, because you don't usually see 11 and five teams that aren't leading uh, for that long. So uh, for me, uh, Russell Wilson, it should be the, you know, the, the fifth or the sixth guy in that, in that tier. I think Watson's a clear third or not a clear third, but I think he deserves third the most um, just because he's been top four in per, per game production uh, each of his three years in the league. I think Kyra is going a little too high just because we haven't seen him do it yet. We haven't seen him do what we're projecting for, um, you know, for, for him, for these other, we've seen these other guys do what, what we're projecting for Kyra. I love hearing Rayvon say he thinks uh, Kyler is going too high after just last year. Uh, we were having a miniature war to see which one of us could rank him higher. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, we, we're starting to come back to our senses. Although, I mean, you got to say in Kyler Murray's favor, uh, he's never had DeAndre Hopkins before as uh, someone to throw to. So Hey, let uh, me say, let me say yeah. something quick about Hopkins because I think this is, I've heard this all offseason. I've heard this from everybody. DeAndre Hopkins, it's going to hurt Deshaun Watson. It's going to benefit Kyler Murray. DeAndre Hopkins is a great receiver, no doubt. 
but we're talking about numbers here. We're talking about fantasy bottom line numbers. Last season, DeAndre Hopkins averaged 11.2 yards per catch. Uh, that's under the league average for a receiver. He averaged 7.8 yards per target. That is also under the league average for a wide receiver. So it's, uh, as Evan pointed out, Houston and Watson's numbers could actually increase from, you know, doing more, uh, running more vertical uh, passing concepts. Um, and just because Hopkins is coming to Arizona and potentially getting, you know, 150 plus targets doesn't necessarily mean that it has a major impact on Kyra Murray's bottom line passing statistics, especially in terms of the yardage. It could obviously add some touchdowns. I don't think Arizona um, had much in that area last year in the red zone, but just in terms of the numbers, DeAndre Hopkins is more of a, a target volume hog who you can throw to anytime and reasonably uh, expect a, a catch, but he's not a guy that's adding um, huge efficiency numbers to your, to your bottom line at this point. Yeah, those, those receiving rate numbers, they were almost as good as Max Williams' uh, receiving rate numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, when you're pulling Demir Bird, Keyshawn Johnson, or Trent Sherfield out of the offense and inserting, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, like, it's one of the biggest personal upgrades in the league. But you're right. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins was, a pos- like, a 100% possession receiver uh, last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they use him. I think he's going to be on the outside a lot. I don't think he's going to get near uh, the same target volume that he got in, um, in Houston. And, I'm, I mean, I'm worried. I'm way below consensus on DeAndre Hopkins. Individually. Yeah, Evan, I'm, I'm with you there on uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, as you say, on the one hand, a great upgrade at one position within the offense. But on the other hand, uh, just DeAndre Hopkins as a fantasy player uh, might not have the, the value that he had in previous seasons. Let's get to uh, Josh Allen. I think this is going to be the guy about which we have uh, maybe the most heated, uh, heat is the wrong word, intriguing discussion. Uh, Evan, you have him in your top five, and I can, I can see how you get there. Um, in 2018, in the final six games of his rookie season, he was the number two overall fantasy quarterback. Last year, he was the number eight fantasy quarterback, uh, you know, that offense took a big step forward. You had the additions of John Brown at wide receiver, uh, Cole Beasley as the slot receiver, and then the team just added wide receiver Stephon Diggs via trade. You would have to assume that based on uh, what Stephon Diggs has done as a deep ball receiver, uh, based on Josh Allen's inaccuracy last year, but the strength of his arm, that he's going to improve in deep ball accuracy this year. Uh, which could really uh, like help that offense take another big step forward. Uh, and you mentioned you're all in on Josh Allen in part because uh, of the MVP bets. Uh, you can get Josh Allen right now at DraftKings Sportsbook 50 to 1 uh, to be the MVP. And if he has uh, an MVP caliber season, I think you could see the narrative of how he could end up winning the award. And I, I think that's also kind of like half the battle of, you know, whether a guy wins an MVP or not, does he have the narrative to go along with it? Uh, but Evan, talk about Josh Allen. You have him in the top five. Why do you think he belongs there? So this is another situation where just in general, just approaching this season, I, I want to bet on continuity teams that have a lot of offensive or, or defensive continuity or whatever. The, the Bills have as much continuity as they're bringing back their head coach. They're bringing back their OC, Brian Dable, who I think is, has proven to be pretty underrated. Um, they're bringing back their quarterback, their numbers uh, one and two receivers from last year. 
like all their offensive linemen um, and the big personnel change that they made was sort of like we were just talking about with Arizona, pulling out Duke Williams and Isaiah McKenzie and, and uh, Robert Australian for Sex Foster and inserting um, Stefan Diggs, the, who uh, led the entire NFL in yards gained on passes, caught 20 plus yards downfield last year. That like, I like the way that the Bills are doing this. They're doing this very analytically. They're like, what was the weakness of our quarterback this past year, the worst deep ball passer in the league. We know that he can be better at that. So let's go get the best deep ball receiver in the league and hope that that elevates a part of Josh Allen's game in which he has struggled. I think it's Stefan Diggs. All he really needs to do is go get four or five of those errant deep balls, and it's going to make a huge difference uh, to their offense. I think we can get out Josh Allen. and He averaged, what, 6.9 yards per pass attempt, I think, last year. We could get him over seven yards per pass attempt. He's led the NFL in rushing touchdowns by quarterbacks over the past two years with 17, and he is second among all quarterbacks in rushing yards per game over the last two seasons behind only Lamar Jackson averaging 41 rushing yards per game. Um, I think that a 30-touchdown pass, 10-rushing TD year is very conceivable from Josh Allen, and I think that this team could win 10 to 12 games. And in that scenario, how could Josh Allen not possibly not be in the MVP conversation? And then I think that it would be, a, you know, if, if, we're, if we're going down the line, like we bet against him in 2021. You know, we bet on him to regress severely and maybe even get benched or something like that, you know. But I think that this, is, this year just sets up so perfectly for Josh Allen that at 50 to 1, I mean, I, I don't know why you wouldn't bet it. I, honestly, you know, just throw a few bucks at it or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long shot. But um, I think it's a great long shot bet. All right. Well, uh, not to put words in Sean Corner's mouth, but he totally disagrees with you. He, <laughs> he has him ranked number 11. Sean, what, what's going on oh, here? Because I, I got to okay. say, like, I, I, see, I see both sides of it. I see the potential downside, obviously. Uh, and I think if we're looking at kind of a median range of outcome, uh, I can see why Josh Allen would be ranked outside of the top 10. Um, but, you know, also we're looking for upside. You want to win your league, and Allen has the potential for upside. Why are you relatively low on Allen? Yeah, so this is a complicated answer. Um, I, I will say for best ball, he is my QB um, seven. Um, so, you know, for best ball leagues, you kind of want those spiked weeks. He's perfect for that. Um, you know, back to Evan's point about um, Diggs helping his deep ball accuracy, I agree 100%. And it's evident when you look at uh, Diggs last year, he caught 76% of pass attempts, uh, 20 yards or more. Um, and 75% of those were catchable, which is double the league average. And you could think, oh, maybe Kirk Cousins is just a good deep ball passer. But all other attempts, uh, Kirk Cousins was right around league average with 43% of his deep passes being catchable, um, which is right around where Josh Allen was last year, actually. But Bill's receivers only caught 25% of those. It was the second biggest discrepancy among quarterbacks. So I think it's, it's clear that Diggs sort of makes his quarterback more accurate on deep balls. He's able to track them down. Um, like Evan said, you know, a few of those errant throws will turn into catches with Diggs. So I think Diggs definitely helps his upside. But when it comes to redraft leagues, I already mentioned this, but after the top six are gone, I'm punting on QB and I'm just streaming. You know, one of the things with Josh Allen is you're going to have to keep him on your, in your starting lineup every week, um, which means, you know, two matchups against New England, 
um, they actually play the Patriots week 16. So you have to consider, do you want to play Josh Allen in your fantasy football finals against the Patriots? Uh, my answer to that is no. So you want to be playing the Patriots defense in week 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's all these underlying issues that I'm just not willing to spend that high draft capital. Uh, I can get behind the 50 to 1 MVP bet. Uh, I definitely think you should throw a couple bucks on that. But when it comes to, to weekly fantasy football, especially head-to-head leagues, you know, I don't want that sort of inconsistency. But I, I do get it. He does have a high ceiling. I and mean, the other thing I'll point out real quick is his, his rushing touchdown. I, I mean, there could be some regression there. Uh, last year, Franco was brutal um, in goal line situations. He only scored two out of 11 attempts inside the five-yard line. So, you know, I think they brought in Zach Moss especially to sort of solidify that goal line back roll. Hopefully, you know, getting some pressure off Josh Allen on those, those goal line carries. So I think we could see one or two fewer rushing touchdowns as well. If Josh Allen scores like four rushing TDs this year, like we're screwed. Like, or I'm screwed. <laughs> it's, it's over. All right, Raymond. I don't normally say this about you, but uh, in this instance, it seems like you're the voice of reason. Where Evan uh, is high on Josh Allen, has him number four. Corner is low, has him at number 11. You're splitting the difference, and you have him right around the consensus at number seven. What is it that you see in Josh Allen that makes you think he's worthwhile at number seven, but not any higher, not any lower? I think for me, first of all, I don't like corner number 11. That's that means he's below some guys that that are old and don't run. I, I that I can't I can't go that far corner because I think if you look at the top six, you have Lamar and Mahomes and, and Watson and Kyler and Dak and Wilson. All those guys can run. I think you need quarterbacks that can run and you have to consider those guys before any other pocket passer um, if you're trying to match that that top six. So I can't really drop Allen that far. Um, but at the same time, you know, to Evan's point, I also can't put Allen in a tier based solely on a projection when he, when, when he hasn't done it yet. And we've seen these other guys do it. And for me, the issue with Josh Allen, and, and, I, and I'm mad I went third because I'm usually the guy that has all the good deep ball stats with, with Josh Allen and, and, you, and Sean and Evan stole him from me. But I'll still give you, to put it in more perspective, um, how much I think Allen can improve as a passer. He went three of 27 to wide receivers not named John Brown on, on deep passes a year ago. Um, Stephon Diggs was 16 of 29. He was one of the only two receivers to get more than 25 deep targets and, and get a 50% catch rate. So it's going to be night and day. However, the two underlying issues, I see, well, really three underlying issues I see with Allen. Number one, he's never had a 300-yard passing game. He's never even had a 280-yard passing game. So it's a, it's a projection. Number two, as Sean mentioned, rushing touchdown, touchdowns can regress. Rushing yards are the, pretty much the most sticky stat for quarterbacks year to year per game. Rushing touchdowns, not quite as sticky there. So he had nine last year in 16 games, eight in 12 games the year before. Um, that's, that's very likely to regress, even if he continues to run at the same rate. And then number three, and I, I view this as a detriment because, again, as Evan pointed out at the top, quarterbacks are so tightly, uh, you know, tight together in terms of the projections. Josh Allen has a good defense. And, and to me, that's just not ideal. It might be ideal ultimately for an MVP vote if the team wins 12 games. But for a fantasy quarterback, I don't think you want a good defense. I think you want a bad defense uh, like the Giants and Daniel Jones have or the Bengals and Joe Burrow have or the Falcons and Matt Ryan have uh, because that's going to get you those extra few throws, those, that extra um, amount, that, that extra few throws of pass volume late in the game um, and easy completion, you know, easy pass volume with potentially a touchdown at the end of it. 
um, that you're just not getting out of Allen. And so uh, that to me is a red flag as well. So um, I can't drop Allen below the pocket passers, but I also can't put him in those top two tiers. All right, I'm with uh, Rayvon on this, and uh, but it's I'm I'm bizarrely also with, with Corner, where if I do projections, the guy who comes out at number eleven for me, just in the median outcome, is Josh Allen. But I and if I'm doing rankings, and again, this kind of gets to the difference of rankings versus projections. You know, rankings you want to take into account a, a number of factors that you don't really see just in your basic average projection like you want to know if a guy has a high floor you want to know if he has a high ceiling and I think Josh Allen has both of those because of his rushing upside and then also the addition of Stefan Diggs and any progression that he takes in his third year so I have him uh, ranked number seven you know right around consensus there and uh, it is because of that elevated floor with his rushing ability all right after Josh Allen we have this it's going to be a long year for the haters Oracle Give me a long year for the haters. <laughs> Josh um, Allen right now is better than Cam Newton. I'm, I'm just going on record as saying that. Uh, went on record before and said it. I'll say it again. Josh, everyone wishes Cam Newton will be what Josh Allen is right now. That's – I don't even know what to say. I'm saving it for the next episode when let, we let talk me, about me, I want to say one more thing to address one of point, uh, the points that Raybon made, which I think is, is, is a great point generally. But I think specifically as it pertains to Josh Allen – Having a good defense is a good thing for him because you don't want him playing out of control because he has a, a, a tendency to play out of control. Like, we, can, we, we want Deshaun Watson to be playing out of control, right? And we, we want him to have a bad defense. Russ, we, we want him to be playing with urgency. We don't want we, – we want Josh Allen to play under control, um, and we want him to score rushing touchdowns at the goal line, and, you know, we want him to um, – like – you know, he, he can be a really streaky player. And we want him to stay on, on the hot streaks and not – you remember that playoff game against the Texans? Oh, what a disaster. I was all over the Bills to, to win that game outright. I think they were dogs. They had it, and he started playing out of control. They, they just totally melted down. One of, the, one of the toughest games to watch, if you had some money on that, uh, that was just absolutely brutal. But I, I actually think that it's a good thing for Josh Allen, giving him better field position and keeping him under control – I think that that's where Josh Allen needs to be. Hey, Evan, I mean, if you followed me in the Action Network app, you would have seen that the sharp pick was actually Texans minus two and a half. However, to your oh, second yeah. point, I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point that you do want him to the, play. The, the Bills with. had that. The Bills had that game. I also had that, that, that uh, cover. But I think you're, you're right that we do want Josh Allen to play under control. However, that just points me back to the red flag of you're, you're kind of cutting it close when you talk about his ultimate ceiling versus what he's already done. Because, again, because Josh Allen has been able to play under control, he's never had a 300-yard passing game. He's never had a 280-yard passing game. And, like, I get – like, I'm all over Stephon Diggs improving him. But I guess I don't care about that as much when he's rushing yards. for 41 yards per game. You know, I don't care – I mean, that's an interesting stat. You know, it's, it's like, you know, stump the Schwab stat. But, you know, I don't really care when he's rushing for 41 and he's throwing for, you know, 260 because we're, 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 we're getting to over 300 then anyways. But, can't, but, but if you look at the top six guys, you could, any one of those guys could rush for 41 and throw for 300. Um, you know, and, and Lamar Jackson even can, can, you know, we've seen him throw for some big games. So I'm just saying it's a projection. It's weird. He's, he hasn't done it yet. That's why I'm, I'm saying seven for him. But I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not a Josh Allen hater at all. He's better than Cam Newton right now. I mean, to, uh, to Evan's point, Lamar Jackson had just one 
game last year with over 300 passing yards. And that was in week one against the horrible Miami Dolphins. And the so, playoffs. The playoffs too, right? Right, correct, correct. Sorry, the playoffs, right. But uh, yeah, so uh, anyway, it's it's not uh, necessarily mandatory that uh, Josh Allen throws for a whole bunch of yards in order to uh, to provide a lot of fantasy value. Let's talk about uh, after Josh Allen. There's a, a tier of five guys. Uh, who all kind of feel like versions of each other with the exception of, of Carson Wentz. You have Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. For the most part, pocket passers, older guys, they're not going to give you much with their legs. They're all going in rounds eight through 10. And this feels like a range of uh, quarterbacks in which I'm not wanting to invest in the position. At the same time, you can see how one of these guys could end up having, you know, a, a top three, maybe top five fantasy season uh, if things align right. Evan, where are you on these five quarterbacks? Is there anyone in particular that stands out to you? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers doesn't belong in this tier at all. Um, <laughs> yes, I was shaking my head the whole time. Like, not, well, not, Aaron Rodgers not, is not a like good him. fantasy quarterback anymore. You know, not a good fantasy quarterback. What did he throw for 300 yards like three times or four times all last year? including the playoffs. They're like trying to minimize his impact on the game. They just drafted his replacement. They drafted a freaking Kyle Juszczyk clone in the third round. They drafted a 247-pound running back in the second. Don't draft Aaron Rodgers, please. I mean, he goes like way higher than he should in every single draft, and it's based entirely on name recognition. He's not a good fantasy quarterback anymore. Drew Brees – I, I have him really low because uh, Taysom Hill is going to take like seven touchdowns. And like, I mean, there's, there's an element of, uh, to fantasy football, like you want to have fun. There's nothing less fun than seeing you, your fantasy quarterback get pulled out and Taysom Hill come in to score a damn touchdown. Alvin Kamara is going to get hit with major uh, positive touchdown regression, I think. I'm, I'm not real big on, on Drew Brees. They got Jameis. I do like Carson Wentz quarterback 10 in ADP. Tom Brady, you know, I, I have all his pass catchers in, in really good spots, but for him individually, he adds nothing with his legs. He's got a brutal schedule to open the season. He's got a uh, week one at the Saints. That's one of the, I guess you could try to sell yourself on that being a, a shootout, although the Saints don't really necessarily play that way. I don't think the Bucs are going to play that way. Their defense is going to be awesome. I mean, they might, they might have like a top five defense this year. And then week two at home, they come back home and they face the Panthers. We can, you know, tee off on the Panthers. They might have the worst defense in the league this year. But then it's at the Broncos in week three. Early in the season at mile high is always a poor bet. Week four against the Chargers, they have one of the most talented defenses in the league. Week five on a short week, Thursday night football at Soldier Field. So, I mean, are you really even going to – when are you going to want to start Tom Brady in there against the Panthers? Other than that – he's probably not going to be a top 12 fantasy quarterback starter on the week uh, in, in all those other uh, initial five games. So I think at the end of the day, his weapons are going to get, you know, they're going to get theirs. But I think that Tom Brady is not someone that I want to be starting to begin the season. Um, and then Matt Ryan, I mean, he's a guy that like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely willing to draft him, especially if I get Ridley or Julio early, but he always goes like before I'm willing to take. Sean, any any thoughts on those guys? I believe the one that you are the highest on is uh, Matt Ryan uh, and, and then Carson Wentz. And uh, yeah, I mean, Ryan leads the NFL with nine 4,000-yard passing seasons over the past decade. Uh, he has continuity with offensive coordinator Dirk Cutter. 
he has two guys who, you know, potentially could both be wide receiver ones in Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Sean, I know that uh, you have a long shot bet on Calvin Ridley actually to lead the league in receiving. This offense is likely to continue to play at a fast pace and throw frequently. So lots of things to like about Matt Ryan. Uh, And then Carson Wentz, top 10 fantasy quarterback last year, despite having massive injuries at the wide receiver position. He was the number two fantasy quarterback in points per game uh, in 2017 when he had an MVP MVP caliber season that was uh, cut short. You know, Deshaun Jackson is returning presumably healthy. The team added Jalen Rager in the first round. Those are the two guys who stand out to me the most uh, in this in this range of quarterbacks as guys I would I would want to take if I were looking to invest here. Uh, Sean, what do you think of these guys? Yeah, th- this tier is kind of deceiving. And just to take a step back, you guys are absolutely right. You know, my rankings are based on median projections, so Matt Ryan's way higher than I would draft him, and that's why I do my tiers and strategy articles. I'll be explicit about you know the fact that i have matt ryan ranked higher than josh allen doesn't mean i'll draft him above him i won't be drafting any of these guys like i said as soon as the top six are off the board that's it i'm punting the position completely and streaming qb for the uh 2020 season i I have josh allen you know as my qb7 in best ball when it comes to best ball i'm only drafting matt ryan if i have julio jones or calvin lee are going to stack you know stack him with hayden hurst as well so Matt Ryan is purely just an upside stack with these other guys. But yeah, he's a safe pick. I'm not making safe picks at this point in the draft at QB. I'm loading up at wide receiver, running back still. So I think all these guys, they might have good upside or you know seem like a good safety net. But just when it comes to redraft leagues, you don't really want to invest in these guys. Um, Carson Wentz is probably the most appealing player of this group just because everything might line up for him this year. And we've seen um, how that works out. Uh, you know, last year he was decimated at wide receiver. You know, he was forced to throw to uh, Greg Ward Jr. Uh, a lot towards the end of the last year. Um, so I think if DJX can stay healthy and out of trouble and Jalen Rager, you know, is able to, to hit his stride his rookie season, having that deep threat will unlock his ceiling. And we saw that, you know, he had DJX healthy for one game last year and he went off for eight catches, 154 yards and two touchdowns. So I think Wentz really does possess that sort of upside that's worth shooting for in this range. I'm just saying that once you get to this point in the draft and you don't have a Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, those guys, you might as well just punt and stream the position um, weekly. So um, this, this group is kind of deceiving. It's kind of a, you kind of just want to take a quarterback so you can show your buddies, your team after the draft, like, look, I got Drew Brees, but at this point, just punt the position and take a receiver running back or tight end. If you're, if you're hurting there. Ray Bond, you mentioned uh, earlier when Evan was talking, uh, Aaron Rodgers, someone you are uh, very low on. You have him ranked number 15, which even to me feels low. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally on the train of this team is going to look to run uh, and run and run again, especially with, you know, Derrick Henry clone, A.J. Dillon. Talk about what you are seeing and, and particularly what you're projecting with the Packers offense that would make you put Rodgers at number 15. Well, if you look at Rodgers' numbers over the last four or five years, the yards per attempt has been right around league average or below, right in that 7 to 7.4 range, which um, now you're relying purely on his touchdown, his touchdown upside. And yes, he has a great touchdown interception ratio year in, year out. But that interception ratio in particular, I think, is what hurts Aaron Rodgers because he is playing very careful with the ball. And you know, as a result, he's not really making those out of structure, 
uh, huge plays down the field that we've come to know him for and have given him his upside in the past. So you could conceivably put Rodgers, uh, I think, you know, close to 20th. And I wouldn't argue with you. And, and I might even drop him because uh, there is nothing, I think, that that is propping Rodgers up at this point. He's not really running the way um, quite as much as he used to, um, you know, to stay in an effort to stay healthy, I presume. And you look at the offense and Devontae Adams is another example of, of one of those receivers that gets a ton of targets. But in terms of his actual efficiency numbers, uh, he's right around the league average in yards per target. And, um, you know, it's, it's a real fragile situation where if Adams were to go down, we, and we saw this play out last year, it gets really ugly for Aaron Rodgers. And, and Aaron Rodgers in a pretty high volume year last year, uh, in a year where he went deep at one of the highest rates in the league, still was a, an extremely average middling fantasy quarterback who had a couple of big weeks against the worst defenses in the league, um, but not much else. So I have Rodgers projected for a little bit under 4,000 passing yards, 25 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and uh, about another 200 yards uh, on the ground. So um, yeah, he comes in very middling in that tier um, where you, know, you, you take a point or two away and all of a sudden he's behind, you know, Goff and Stafford and, and, and Roethlisberger and all those guys. So I could see myself actually dropping Rodgers because uh, I don't think that that Green Bay has any intention uh, of letting this guy just throw it around the yard. Okay, so to put some context on this, Sean, I want you to give us, basically I want to know what you think the odds are that at some point this year Aaron Rodgers gets benched. So the context for this is the Packers were more of a run-heavy team last year than they had been previously. It looks like they're attempting to de-emphasize Aaron Rodgers even more given what they did in the draft. Jordan Love in round one. They took A.J. Dillon in round two. H-back Josiah DeGuara in round three. Just let's say they, they start the season somehow 0-5 or whatever, right? What do you think the odds are, Sean, that at some point this year Aaron Rodgers is benched? I would say it's very low. I would say like 2%, 50 to 1 odds. I would say it's more likely that Josh Allen wins MVP than Aaron Rodgers gets benched. But I mean, I'd offer, with Vig included, 50 to 1 odds that Aaron Rodgers gets benched. I just don't see that happening this year. Evan, what do you think about that line? I, I think it should, be, it should be shorter than that. I mean, they draft their first-round quarterback, and it, it's really that simple. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hate to go against the odds maker. Odds maker but I'm not, <laughs> uh, it's never a good decision. It should be like a thousand to one. He's not getting <laughs> Come on. Like, this is the same argument that we've had. And it's, it's important to talk about because we've, we've, this comes up with AJ Dillon, with Aaron Rodgers. The reason I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to throw it around and, and whatnot is because he just simply doesn't have players to throw to. But in terms of him getting benched or his status in the lineup, I think there's a disconnect between Matt LaFleur, the head coach, and Brian Gutenkus, the GM. LaFleur isn't a, a guy whose um, input is like number one in deciding who they go out and draft, who they sign in free agency. You, you uh, made this point on the last show, Rayvon, and I, I disagree with you here, man. But it, how can you disagree? It's true. It's a fact. You can go read it. No, it's not. No, yes, it's it is. Not. It's your take. Go read any Packers beat report about their draft process and what they do and, the and see how much input. Packers beat reporters are on the payroll, bro. So if they're on the payroll and they're saying that Matt LaFleur doesn't have as much influence, then look, look, what, look like, who, the who's putting made. them they on that payroll? Obviously the people philosophy. that do have influence. Okay, the, the second round pick of, as Oracle made the, the point of on the last show, 
it's like a spitting image of Derrick Henry and who technically unlocked Derrick Henry, Matt LaFleur. For the third round, where does Matt LaFleur come from? The Kyle Shanahan background. They sold freaking Jacob DeGuara as the next Kyle Houston. No, and that- I'm giving you my take. This is not a fact, but this is a take, and I think it's a better evidence take, evidence back take than yours. I disagree because, first of all, it's I know the, the beat writers I know. are on record as saying that DeGuara was a LaFleur pick. So that's fair. We've seen this in the past, and it's important to, to understand these disconnects. Like the same way when Rashad Penny was drafted in Seattle a couple years ago, and he was a first-round pick. Because first-round picks have a certain average of usage, everyone Im- immediately penciled him in for that kind of usage. But that wasn't a Pete Carroll pick. And I, I agree with that. We I have agree to with keep that. in mind. We have to I agree with that, but, but the pick was made, in essence, to support the philosophy of Pete Carroll. Hey, we're giving you another running back talent. Our, our, you know, we really liked what Chris Carson gave us, uh, you know, in his first year, but he like fractured his leg. <laughs> but Pete Carroll loved him some Chris Carson. And I mean, I think generally has been, you know, right about him, although the fumbles last year were maddening. But um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting discussion. I'll, I'll give you I'm that. just saying we have to be aware of these. I'm not saying I'm not trying to say that this is like the reason that Aaron Rodgers never will get benched. I'm just saying I think I believe that there it, it could be a take. I believe I believe there is a disconnect between the front office in Green Bay and Matt LaFleur, who was, who was just brought in last year, is in year two, um, and is not going to bench a future Hall of Famer. That's my take. I think the front office is thinking for down the line, hey, Rodgers is in decline. Aaron Jones is playing so good that he's going to warrant more money than we're willing to pay him. And that's the reason you have those two picks, whether LaFleur is there or it's any other guy at, at, at head coach. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to be chalky with uh, with odds maker here and say uh, 50 to one for Aaron Rodgers being benched. Uh, that that feels uh, that feels in the wheelhouse. That feels about right to me. Uh, all right, Evan, what do you guys have going on at Establish the Run? I uh, just started an NBA section. Really excited for that with Drew Dinkmeyer and Mike uh, Gallagher and uh, Mike Leone. It's gonna we're, we're gonna crush NBA. Um, really looking forward to playing some NBA myself. Hopefully training camp is is on the horizon it appears so lots going on and and thanks so much you guys for for having me on this was an absolute blast uh i listened to like almost every single one of your guys podcasts and um you guys do great analysis and thanks for having me on all right evan always a blast to have you on the show everyone you can follow evan on twitter at evan silva in our next nfl episode we will break down all of the late round quarterbacks you can follow sean chris and me in the action network app at the underscore odds maker chris ravon and matt at the oracle please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on spotify see you again next episode finished talking.